Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Store. This is a podcast that I'm making specifically for Castle Country. And my guest today is Chris Haycock, who is one of my neighbors. Uh, he's become a friend and somebody whose work I've recently become more familiar with after visiting the, the place where he works in person and was really impressed and intrigued by all that I saw. So I thought it would be cool to just sit down with you, Chris, and get to know you a little bit better and ask you about your work because I think it would be beneficial for more people to be aware of what your organization does and, and the fact that it exists. Uh, so, Chris, you work for a local nonprofit called Active Reentry. That is correct. So what is Active Reentry? What do you all do there? So first of all, thank you, and I appreciate you inviting me to, to join your podcast and be one of your first interviewees. Um, so Active Reentry is a private nonprofit based here in Carbon County. Um, our main office is here. Um, we provide services to people with disabilities, all ages, all disabilities. Um, most of our programs, um, we don't need like specific diagnoses for. Um, so that makes us different from other other agencies that provide services to people with disabilities. So, hmm. okay, what is your role there specifically? My role is I'm the community integration and youth program manager. So that's a long title for something that I feel or and I think is really fun. I get to teach people with disabilities um, independent living skills. So how to live on their own, whatever that situation looks like. If they want to live in a group style home, if they want to live on their own independently, we'll make that happen. We'll help them figure out what that takes to be an independent individual. Um, I do a lot of cooking classes. We do a lot of budgeting and those types of things um, for them. But we also do recreational activities because the social aspect is very important to get the individual in a friend group, in community, um, so they know that they have people that are going through the, a lot of the same things that they are, and they can then peer support with each other. Hmm. All right. How many, about how many people um, are being served by active reentry, at least this, this location uh, at any one time? So our location here in Carbon and Emory County, so in price covers those two counties. Um, we have around 500, I would say, uh, individuals that are in services and that, that varies over all of our programs and, and everything. Um, in our larger service area, which is Eastern Utah, so from Daggett County clear to the bottom of San Juan County, we have roughly a thousand, maybe 1200 uh, individuals that we're serving currently. Hmm. Wow. So is active reentry specific to the state of Utah or is this a larger national nonprofit or what is the total extent of the area that it serves? So active reentry is specific to Utah, um, to our seven counties, but there are six in the state, six independent living centers. Active reentry is just one of the, one of the six. Hmm. Um, so the major cities have, have them from Logan to St. George. They're, they're kind of all over, and we've split the counties up by that geographical area, what makes sense. Um, so we cover those seven eastern counties the, um, the best we can. We have offices in Vernal, Roosevelt, the Price Office, uh, Moab, and in Blanding. 
Okay, so independent living centers is a, a type of, of institution or place for certain services, but active reentry is a specific branch of that kind of network of Correct. independent living centers that has four locations or so? So we have, there are six in the state, but there's, there's independent living centers across, across the country. Every state is, right. is um, participate and doesn't, maybe we shouldn't say participates, but has some sort of independent living system within their state. Mm. Um, and by that, we, you know, uh, we're federally mandated to do certain um, services in each, each location. Um, so yes, we're part of a, a larger national organ, not organization, but um, group, I would say, because we're all we all run independent of ourselves. So active reentry is the is the nonprofit locally, and then there's um, a state um, component that goes into that, and then there's a federal component that goes into that for oversight and funding purposes. Okay, sort of makes sense. I'm trying to yeah just build, build a <laughs> mental model right. for how does the active reentry fit into this larger network. So it sounds like there, this is a kind of national program of sorts, or it's been handed down from the top to the States that they're mm -hmm. somehow required to, to, to develop these independent living centers. <clears throat> what is, how was active reentry formed? What, and how, how long ago was it, was it formed? So it was formed. It was the the nonprofit was created in 1988. So um, that was 35 years ago. Um, I'm not really sure where the idea came from uh, originally to to be based in price and how that all transpired. But um, pre 1988, there was one independent living center in the state, and it was located in Salt Lake, and it covered the entire state out of and they had a small pot of money they had very few employees and was they were just trying to get that that um, foot in the door to get people with disabilities removed out of institutions people that were in you know psychiatric hospitals or in or, uh, nursing homes um, that could live on their own just trying to get that kind of philosophy into the mainstream that people with disabilities don't have to be put away somewhere. They can live independent lives. They can be part of society. Um, fast forward a little bit um, to 1988 and the creation of three new centers were, was, it was created. Um, so that split the state into four um, separate areas and active reentry was part of that. Since that point, there's been two more added um, for kind of the metro areas to kind of split some of that up because there's more people than there is land. And so, yeah, that's kind of that, that creation and how that all came about um, with it. So that was, that was well before my time there um, to get started. So, but that's my understanding right now of how it was created. Okay. So was this national network originally part of some, some president's agenda. Do you know how the national network began or how, how this whole movement to, you know, go from putting people with disabilities or, or mental illnesses into institutions, you know, where did, when and how did this uh, shift in mindset come about to try to 
meet them where where they're at in their own homes and mm -hmm. support them as being being uh, able to live independently. Yeah. So I would I would say in the '60s, kind of that kind of started happening. Um, the first independent living center was in Berkeley, California. Um, so it, it grew from that. It was an individual um, named Ed Roberts that wanted to go to school at Berkeley. And they said, no, there was no room there because he was on a ventilator, had all of this, finally agreed to let him in. And then he had to live in the hospital, the area of the, of the university for that need. Moving down, he created the center in Berkeley for those issues to get people to school, get curb cuts, simple curb cuts. We look at those today like, that helps everyone, you know? But back in the day, there was no curb cuts. You had to, if you were in a wheelchair, you had to jump the curb. If you were somebody with a stroller, you had to jump the curb. Curb cuts just make our lives easier right now. Um, so yeah, there's an, so it built from that into a national um, uh, network of nonprofits that provide the same services. And then there's some federal mandates and, and different things um, because we do, um, I don't know if a president put it into a into effect or not, but there's federal monies that um, the government has, has seen that's uh, beneficial um, um, to get people to work, get people to live independently. So that's that's kind of come about that way. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask how is active reentry funded? Is I assume it was would be a combination of support from the government, maybe mm -hmm. some grant funding, but also do you take pri private donations? And is that are you ever fundraising? We are always fundraising. Um, we do we do get partial funding from uh, the federal government and from the state government, um, but we're most of our programs are run off of donations. Um, and we, we fundraise all the time. Currently, we're doing a fundraiser just before uh, Christmas. Um, we're selling C's candies. And that, you know, all of that, all of the proceeds that we that we bring in to the center go back out into the community to help those individuals. Whether it's buying equipment for our, our medical, or not medical, but uh, durable equipment loan bank. So that can be wheelchairs, grab bars, um, transfer benches, bath chairs, those types of things. We purchase those to then loan out to people that need them in our communities. Um, so that the money that's donated gets goes right back into the community for those those purposes. Nice. So if people want to donate, where should they go to do that, or what's the best way to go about it? And also, uh, if they want to contribute to this current fundraiser, do they is it best to visit a, your website or yep. go to the place the physical location that you have or contact someone anything really works in that respect um any of our local offices in our in our areas we can we can take donations at um the website is the great is the best place because then it's just through paypal you can donate um you can find the current uh, fundraiser there on our website and then our social media accounts as well, we we try to keep those as up to date as possible with things that are happening. Um, so the fundraisers are always on there. Or if you just want to give us a call, give us a call at, at in in our price office. Um, you know, and ask those questions. And the website's a great great area for just informing yourself about what services we provide. And maybe somebody out there knows somebody that needs those services. 
even if they're not within the carbon emery area, we can do referrals to other other agencies all over the country. Okay. Do you know off the top of your head the URL for the website and uh, which social media platforms you're active on and mm -hmm. what the, the handle is for those platforms? So the website is www.arecil.org. And then you can just, on Facebook or Instagram, those are our two biggest ones that we use, um, just search for active reentry is the easiest way to go for those and they'll, they'll come up. So, okay. Yeah. You just mentioned, uh, something I, I was wanting to ask you a question about, get into a little bit more detail. So mm -hmm. just trying to visualize the, the populations and the types of individuals that active reentry serves. You said this is anyone living with any kind of disability, but you don't require an actual, did you say diagnosis? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah. so any kind of physical or mental disability? Correct. So basically, is there any, what would be the, let's say for someone that might know someone that needs services or somebody who they themselves might need services, how would they self-identify or know if someone they know is qualified and if they are what would be the best way to begin the process of accessing the services yeah. so that's our that's our question we get asked the most you know is i i know someone or i don't know if you can help um that that's the question we get the most um if you if you're wondering just give us a call that's that's the best way we can ask we have we can ask questions we can we can figure that out if you qualify, most everybody is going to qualify um, for one of our programs or multiple. Um, it's it's very uh, non-restrictive. Uh, we do have one program that is a little more restrictive, but that's because it's paid services. It goes off of your income and um, a few different things like that. But m most most in the in my time and 15 years of, of being an active reentry, I can only maybe think of a handful of individuals that have not qualified financially for that program. I don't deal with it all the time, but that that that's my perspective of it. Um, and if there's if there's any question, just call and ask. It's the it's the easiest way to to go about it. Okay. I I wonder if. Some people feel that there's a, well, for one thing, a stigma around accessing these kinds of services, but also, Correct. and maybe part of the reason for that is because it, I, I think some people have this perception that there's a limited amount of, of resources and help available. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't really need it, you shouldn't access it so that you can leave that for somebody who really needs it and have this kind of zero sum mentality about it. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could speak to that. Do you think, you know, is there a limit to how many people can be served or is it like the more, the better? So on, on my side of it, the more, the better, because even if the person that's maybe new or not sure that they they would fit or qualify for the for the program. Um, you do, you know, you might learn something from a peer 
that is struggling through or has struggled with the same thing you're you're currently going through. So even if you're coming in for services and you're making that one connection that's a peer support and that is all you need to get to make it through is is have that one connection, we've done our job. We've we've connected you with someone. If it's a specific service, come in. The more the better. We can I, I always hate to say we have to show numbers, but that's that's what the, the reality of it. We have to show that we're helping people. And so we have to report those numbers that, of what we've done. So if we can help you in any way, come in and see us. Um, we, you know, um, that's, that's kind of the best way to say that. Okay. So in terms of uh, the, the types of people you serve again and the services you provide, uh, it sounds like it's a combination of things that happen at your physical location mm-hmm. and also things that you go out and to, to where people live and do in mm-hmm. their homes. Uh, first of all, where is the, the brick and mortar active reentry location? So we're a little bit off the beaten path in price. We're out on Fairgrounds Road, so it's 10 South Fairgrounds Road. Um, we're just south of the Senior Center. And the new association of local governments is up by the senior center, so we've we're kind of making our own little community out there of agencies. Um, so that's that's where most of our of our programs happen. My programs, I'm lucky because I get to be out in the community and I get to take individuals with disabilities out in the community to learn about different things that are happening in the community. You might see us out at a movie or a concert in the park, but you might also see us at a bank learning about budgeting or at one of those other facilities uh, with the other agencies, learning about what resources are available through there. And that's one thing that we do um, uh, very well is connect the individual with the appropriate resources. We know at Active Reentry that we can't help every single person with every single need, but we can build a build a network of, of individuals and other agencies that can help. So if you're needing heat assistance, we know where to go. If you need a food box because your your money didn't last the whole month, we know where to go. If you need to be connected with senior services, we know what which office to take you to or get you in contact with. It's so neat to to learn about all that is available because mm-hmm. I think another misperception that some people have is that you know there there are all these people that could use help in these kinds of services mm-hmm. but but nothing's available nothing's being done and I think it's just sometimes a lack of awareness about what what is there and what is available for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I just just by by chance got to go tour the building mm-hmm. and and get to know you a little bit better through that and hear more about your work, but it otherwise was never really on my radar. I yep. mean, and we we get that all the time. It, uh, you know, people. I, I've worked at the center for fifteen years, and I I still get people that come in that I've seen in the community. I might not know them, but I've seen them in the community for the entire fifteen years that I've worked there but they come in the door and they have no idea what we do. The center's been there 30 years, 35 years, have no idea. So we always say that's the, you don't know until you need it. Um, you know, yeah. most people won't, wouldn't know 
that that would be available unless you're going through or you have a disability or a newly acquired disability or you know a family member or something like that. Yeah, that's a good point. It's It seems like it could be relevant to, to everybody at yep. some point in their lives because, like you said, you may not have any physical disabilities now, but mm-hmm. as people get into older age, yeah. um, they, they, they may acquire them or get into an accident. Exactly. It's as simple as... It's as simple as uh, a simple surgery. You know, we get we get calls all the time that they the individual can't be released from the hospital because they need a walker, um, a stability walker to, to be discharged from the hospital after their knee replacement. That's something we can help provide to them. Or they need they need a wheelchair for the weekend so they can take their mom, you know, to see Christmas lights. We can do that. We can, we can get you that for a short-term loan. So if people did want to go check out the building, are they able to walk in during yeah. business hours and, and talk to somebody? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's multiple, multiple staff members there all day, every, every day through the week, through work day, working hours. Um, but yeah, just pop in and just take a look at the center. We'll, we'll tour you around. We'll tell you what we do and... Yeah, that's that's basically what I got to do a couple of weeks ago, and I was I was so impressed by the building. So I went to school for architecture, mm-hmm. and just kind of I'm a design nerd, and just purely in terms of the architectural design, I think it's one of the most beautiful buildings we have in this county. <laughs> it's exactly what I would expect to see for specifically a building that is designed to help heal people. Mm-hmm. It's full of natural light. There's a lot of beautiful landscaping and, and greenery around the building that because of all of the windows is sort of brought into the space. So it just feels very transparent, mm-hmm. open, green, and the way the spaces flow and are connected to together is just so well done. Uh, as opposed to, you know, I feel like sometimes there are these institutional type buildings that where nonprofits or mental health organizations are setting up shop and it just feels like you know you're trying to do this work to help yes. people and, and heal people but the building and the environment that you're doing it in is actively working against you yes and i've been in a few places like that where it's like man this place just being here makes me feel crazy or it <laughs> makes me want to do drugs because like it's so oppressive and cold right. and harsh and uninviting but Anyway, it's yeah. an old brown couch in a white room. Yeah, that really makes you want to. Yeah, so <laughs> continue going there. So that is, I'm I'm so glad that you know that that was done right because it it just ensures that the, the people who need the services that they need mm-hmm. to access in in person there are going to want to come back. Yes, and it's not going to be this un, unhappy place. Yes. Uh, so you said you've worked. For active reentry for fifteen years. Fifteen years. That's that's correct. Longer than most people I, I've ever met have worked for any, any right company or organization, especially nowadays. I feel like millennials. Uh, you're you're my age. We're about. I'm thirty six. I think. We, I'm thirty five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people our age, I feel like job hop every two, three, five years at most. Yeah. So I, I'm. I think that's awesome. But and I just assume that you must really love what you do. So that, that's correct. What is it about this job that has kept you there for 15 years? Basically like your entire professional adult life. It, it very much is my entire professional life there. Um, 
really the what has kept me there is the people that I get to help every day. Um, I, you know, seeing them grow and be able to, you know, we start with little things that they want to work on to be independent. It might sound very trivial to them or to, to me, you know, I, I want to learn how to cook this meal so I can be independent. Okay, we all cook. But for them, that's a big task, you know, for an individual that's never done that before. So being able to teach them how to do simple meals, how how to extend, you know, those ingredients that are in their cupboard, that's what keeps me able or keeps me going and, and able to continue doing this this type of work is the people that, that's involved. Um, we become their family, really. Um, I've worked with some individuals for maybe less than a year um, and they've learned all the skills that they needed and they're and they are living independent and they don't need us anymore they don't they don't need those services I have others that I've worked with for 15 years and they were in the programs before I started they just see the group as family and that's why they continue they continue to come is because they get to see their friends they've they, they've built that community they've built they've made our center like a second home um, so being able to interact with them every single day, learn about them and their families, their real families, and just what they're what they want to do in life and get out of life, you know, that really keeps me going and keeps me keeps me on my toes. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> awesome. Do you yeah. plan to to stay for for many more years, or have any idea what what the future will be for you in this organization or elsewhere? I plan to stay for as long as they'll keep me. As long as I'm being effective and being able to, to help individuals, uh, that's where I'll be, I feel. Um, as far as the future goes there, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy where I'm at in this position, being able to teach and, and teach skills. We'll see, where, we'll see what happens in the next, the next 15. Awesome. And that's, that's <laughs> honestly just really inspiring. Uh, to to you know see someone so committed to their work and fulfilled by it, I think that's that's what everybody wants from their employment or <clears throat> whatever it is they're doing for work. So that's well, thank cool. You. Thank you. Um, so I I would love to you know find a way to to get involved somehow. Just maybe volunteering once in a while. Mm -hmm. I don't have I'm I'm poor. <laughs> So I don't have money to donate, but uh, I have time, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm wondering for people like me if you know they want to contribute or mm -hmm. get involved. Maybe it's, you know, I feel like for me, part of what motivates me to want to volunteer is just that sense of connection that you're mm -hmm. describing. Like it just feels good to to be around people and to, exactly. to be doing something to help. So, you know, it's kind of, I think, everything we do that is you know, sort of seemingly selfless, there's, there's also a selfish component. So mm -hmm. I just kind of acknowledge and recognize that for <laughs> myself. Like, like I do want to help people and make the world a better place, but, but ultimately it's making me feel good. Mm -hmm. And I like, I like that feeling. So that's what kind of keeps me going at it, I guess, kind of like what keeps you in, in the job yourself. So, oh. so anyway, for Anybody who would like to volunteer in any way, what sorts of opportunities are available and how, how might they go about that or get started or what's the best way to, to begin? 
the best way to begin is just call call the office and um, tell us you want to volunteer. That's the that's the best way to start that. Um, and then we'll find out what you're good at. If you are, you know, if you're good with sitting and listening to a to an elderly person just talk about their life and um, and, and that and just just someone to visit with, you know, we will we'll pair you with someone uh, in that respect. Um, if you are good at teaching, maybe a skill, teaching an art project, something like that, to that effect, if it's music, something like that, we could have you teach a class. Um, we always need, we give, do big parties, you know, seasonal parties. So we are, we're always looking for volunteers to help serve food and those types of things. Um, so really there's a lot of opportunities around um, around the center with with the consumers, even, even some that you wouldn't have to even you know, maybe necessarily directly interact with consumers, but we always have some things that we need to need help with. And a volunteer is a great way to, uh, to be able to complete those tasks that we have. So that's so neat. So pretty much anybody who's willing to, to mm -hmm. give some of their time, you can find a, a yep. way that, that is custom made for them to be involved and and uh, that'll fit with their schedule, I yep. guess, and their their frequency that they're able to to contribute some volunteer hours. Yep. If it's a, only an hour, you can give once a month. We'll 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 figure it out. We'll find something that works. Cool. Um, so yeah. How many volunteers do you currently have working with you? Um, right now, we're very we're low on on volunteers. Um, just off the top of my head, I think we have around eight that are. Uh, constant they they've got they, most of them are paired with an individual um, that they're uh, going out and visiting maybe doing some light grocery shopping reading uh, to them um, because they're low vision so reading maybe bills or mail that comes in those types of those types of things okay um, I, you use the word consumers is that yes is that, that's like the term that you use to, to refer to the people that the organization serves correct where, yes where does that come from i mean i assume at some point there must have been like a discussion about what mm -hmm. is the best term and why consumers so i think nationally they felt that the word consumer fit best because we are a center for independent living that provides services and they are an individual that is consuming that service um, that's how i've always looked at it um, and that's kind of been explained to me you know in, in different areas of the organization, different areas of, you know, nationally and, and statewide. Makes sense. Yeah, my thinking when I first heard that, it kind of stuck out to me as sort of odd, but when you try to think about, well, what other words could be used, mm -hmm. it, it does seem like the best option. For one thing, you, you don't want to use a term that is somehow... Um, I don't know, derogatory or mm -hmm. or uh, belittling or suggesting that this person is somehow less than. I feel like consumer yes. is, is so neutral and, and yep. like everyone is a consumer of, mm -hmm. of goods and services. And you, you don't need to to make them sound like they're different for, for accessing this particular kind of service. Correct. Okay, cool. So let's see, looking at my questions here. Um, in your experience of 
15 years of working with this organization have in all that you've seen and, and learned, do you feel like there are kind of related or tangential challenges that our, our communities have or that some of these people you serve have that needs that can't be addressed by what you do? Um, it's just more of, I'm just curious because you've had such an, so you must have such an inside perspective on um, some of the bigger overall mm-hmm. challenges that, that we have as a community. And so I'm just wondering, you know, what in your observation are those challenges? And do you have any thoughts on how they could be met? Because I, I know that, <laughs> you know, any nonprofit or organization mm-hmm. like yours, there, there's a limit to what you can do. And it has, you have to have a, a, a defined scope. So yes. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? What's what lies just outside the scope and what do you think could be done to address those challenges? Or is this like other organizations, like <laughs> you said, that you're working with to partner with? So the biggest the biggest challenge right now for active reentry and our consumers and I feel our community in a in a general sense is transportation and the lack of transportation um, public transportation we we're the only area eastern utah is the only area within the state that really doesn't have any organized public transit um the uina basin has so they're they're in eastern utah but they they have a small bus system that is that is working um we have enough i feel carbon emory county has enough uh people that would constitute and and keep a small transportation system running. Those are some calls we get all the time. People needing to get to and from a doctor's appointment or just they need to go grocery shopping. You know, that's outside of our scope is, you know, major grocery shopping for the seniors or for an individual with a disability that those types of things are, you know, where a public transportation system could fill those gaps. It can get them from point A to point B. Yeah, and there there has to be some, you know, bugs worked out of it, of course, to connect two counties, multiple cities. But the Association of Governments is actually currently working on this issue um, as far as getting how, how that busing system would look, where stops could be placed, different things that way. So um, our director at Active Reentry, she is currently on that uh, subcommittee for transportation at the association of governments and they're currently working on on a plan for that and hopefully getting um, some state funding to to start something it'll start small and then it hopefully will grow Um, but that's the biggest i think that's the biggest need in our in our community um, right now we've seen uh, even in my own family i have um, family members that are of that driving age, but they haven't gotten their driver's license. And I don't know if that's just a younger generation um, thing. They're totally capable of driving, but they just don't want to go get their driver's license. Um, but then you have somebody that's a senior that shouldn't be driving that still is, but with public transportation, that's another option. You know, a little bit of education of how to use the system, but they can get anywhere they need to go to be a little bit safer. Yeah, it's a really interesting problem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know even here in Kenilworth, where I live, 
and you're you're just down the road. Um, we've got neighbors who are elderly and don't drive, don't have vehicles. I think sometimes because they they just can't. They mm-hmm. uh, one one woman, for example, I I recently talked to is because she's legally blind, so yeah. she just can't can't see enough to drive. Um, but yeah, being in such a rural, spread out area, it's it is hard to design. I would think a transportation system that yeah. is cost effective and going to be utilized enough and. You know, it's with a bus too. It's challenging because, well, it, take this elderly woman who can't see, for mm-hmm. example. She needs someone to come directly to her house. She probably wouldn't be able to walk five minutes down the road to mm-hmm. a bus stop, especially in the winter time. Like, yep. really, nobody should be expected to walk five or ten minutes down the street and then wait ten or fifteen minutes for the bus to show up. And exactly, it's, you know, timing challenges, especially. Mm-hmm are compounded being in a rural area with weather conditions and so on. So it seems like a really tough problem to solve. And Mm -hmm. um, I guess I don't know if we have any kind of Uber or Lyft locally. I've never seen one and I've never used one. I really don't think we have Uber or Lyft. So that's not an option. We're a culture that likes to drive. Yeah. So I think I think most everybody is driving themselves, but you know we don't think about the those elderly folks that like like you just mentioned that don't have any other options. Maybe no family, maybe anything like that. Um, I would like to say that you know maybe a paratransit, a door to door service would be good to go along with a busing system. So that's just something that's usually available with bigger busing systems. But maybe that would be the way it needs to be here. Maybe we start that route before we do a fixed route. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not in any way an expert on this, but that's what I would think is like in designing a custom solution for this yes. particular rural condition that it, it would probably make more sense to just put those resources and, and funds towards a door-to-door service or, yep. you know, rather than like one large bus, it's like a, just a couple of smaller, mm-hmm. more fuel efficient vans yeah. that are um, running around. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I don't think either of us like are really the experts on this topic. But, <laughs> no, but uh, I'm glad you you mentioned that because it. Now that you mention it, it seems very obvious. Like, of course, that's that's mm-hmm. got to be a big need, but it's just one of those those hidden needs that yep. uh, unless you yourself are affected by it or somebody you know, like mm-hmm. you're, it's just not in your awareness. Exactly. Uh, well, I think that is. Most everything I wanted to ask you about active reentry. Okay. Um, well, but before we move on, maybe just to get a little bit more specific. So I think I have some understanding at least of the people who have uh, physical disabilities or mobility challenges. So you, like you mentioned, you'll go into their houses and help them install like grab bars, um, maybe steps to get into bed. Uh, place things just implementations that make their homes more accessible and easier to navigate yes um as as they age and you know have, mm-hmm. have more mobility challenges so and i remember when uh, we talked in person at at when i went to visit um you were talking about constructing ramps so mm-hmm. you can build i i guess temporary or permanent ramps that make uh people's 
homes wheelchair accessible so they can get in and out to their own front or back door? That's correct. Um, so that, that falls into that paid service um, category. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a big piece of equipment that is usually requested um, through that program. Um, we see it a lot and it is for people, you know, newly acquired disability. I'm in a power chair. Now I can't access my house. Um, we can go through that process and get a modular aluminum ramp um, built and it's to the, you know, the, the building code and the specs for the ADA um, and it allows that person to access their home and still live in that home you know, um, it, using their wheelchair, using their new power chair, whatever, or whatever piece of device, piece of equipment that they, they need. Um, might just be a walker person can't navigate the stairs anymore, but they can walk up that ramp with their walker. Simple as that. Okay. So, so you're saying that for example, is, is an instance where someone needs to just have some be able to fulfill some technical uh, mm -hmm. requirement to access that. Yep. But it is still it's it's free or uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So they, there's there's just a, a bigger application process um, at that point, and then um, some financials, different things like that. But we have a an independent living uh, specialist on site that she will do the application with you. She'll come to your home. They'll take pictures, do measurements, all of that type of stuff, and then submit the application. Okay, so. cool. All right. Well, I hope people will will reach out, and if especially anyone who has spare time, because it seems yeah. like such a such an easy way to do something to to give back to your community. There's mm -hmm. there's so many ways that you can get involved and. And you don't have to have any special skills, but if yep. you do, that's that's you know useful as well. Yep. So uh, I hope people will will uh, you'll get some phone calls, um, and I look forward to to working with you guys too. Great. Um, all right. So I wanted to just ask you a little bit more about <laughs> uh, some some other things in your okay. your perfect personal life and things that you're involved with locally. So. We I first got to know you because we we both have I live in Kenilworth. You have family here, and yep, I grew up in Kenilworth. You grew yep. up here till yep. you were how? Oh, I li I lived in Kenilworth from from birth until I was thirty when I moved out mm -hmm. or moved out of Kenilworth. So okay, so just yep. recently that you yep. bought your own house, but yep. you're just down the road. Yep, not far. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> Chris and I. Uh, we we basically are members of Kenilworth's like informal anarchist city council. Like Kenilworth as that's an a great way to put that. <laughs> that's a great way to put that. Yeah, Kenilworth as an unincorporated part of the county. We have no uh, elected officials, no mayor or city council, and sounds like no real like support or funding of any kind. Which is part of what I love about this place mm -hmm. is it's just kind of. You know, in, in a number of ways, off the beaten path and off the radar. Yeah. And I think a lot of people that live here is partly part of the reason why they're here. They like that lifestyle and just just the quiet. And uh, I would agree. <laughs> being kind of left alone. Yeah. So, I've you know, in thinking about what what could we what can be done here to sort of improve Kenilworth or you know have a vision for this community for the future. 
I feel like I don't know that anyone would want there to be a mayor or city council necessarily. Um, I, I'm not sure. Like I, I, I'd hesitate to even bring it up and try to start that conversation. Uh, I think people just kind of like things the way they are. I, I agree. Uh, and part of liking things the way they are is liking uh, that your ability to sort of complain. Yes. About uh, yeah. <laughs> whatever's missing or like whatever the perceived problem is. Like, for example, the fact that part of our sidewalk is just kind of collapsing into the ravine in yep. one section of town. And people love to to gripe about it. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they gripe and nothing happens. And then, <laughs> you know, a year or two goes by and then they start that up again. So yeah. for lack of, I guess, lack of things to do, maybe. Yeah, which is, I mean, <laughs> it's one of the things that is endearing to me about uh, this place and, and the people here and uh, just sort of comical, especially, you know, coming from, I moved I mean, I grew up in Utah, but I moved here most recently from California, and I spent mm -hmm. time living in, like, Los Angeles and San Francisco and Portland, which are kind of known as being, like, the three major West Coast cities that are, you know, the most falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just to come from those places with kind of the issues that they have to this place mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the difference in the things that just people talk about and what the perceived problems are is... It is is really interesting but anyway so yeah we kenilworth has this kind of like informal city council of sorts basically for as long as i've been here like you know almost five years uh i, I don't know when this started or or who's in charge or it doesn't seem like anybody is but there's basically just a group of people that once in a while like once twice three times a year meets up in the park yep and we'll just kind of talk about, you know, just like, how do we, how do we, uh, for one thing, like maintain our park? So as I understand it, Kenilworth long ago, again, who knows like mm -hmm. what people in, were in charge and like representing <laughs> Kenilworth exactly. made this decision, yeah. but, yeah. but some Kenilworth people made some kind of agreement with the county that we would like take responsibility for our, our two public parks that we have and i guess there's maybe a third yeah. kind of like technically public space that is also our responsibility yes so this group has been meeting up once in a while and that that's usually what we talk about is like <clears throat> okay what do we do with these parks because it's up to us to like keep the weeds down and clean the trash up and trim the trees and uh implement any improvements that we want so i, I uh yeah i was just curious about your history with i don't know what we call this like yeah the kennel basically the kennelworth city council like how long have you been uh going to these meetings in the park oh. and and is there any any uh part of that story that i'm missing that you could speak to you've done pretty well of explaining <laughs> all of that and how that how that works it's our our meetings usually run pretty long sometimes because everybody's opinion has to be <laughs> put out there um good or bad right um but I've been working with the, you know, quote unquote, city council for probably six years, um, was invited in after my dad kind of stepped away from it, got a little tired of it, um, was invited in by an individual. And, you know, we've just, like you've said, we've tried to keep the, those public spaces open and uh, as clean as possible and maybe try to figure out 
a way to get more people to to visit them and who knows you know what comes up in those meetings sometimes um it's been everything from that cleaning the parks to how we deal with you know snow removal uh, on the street and and different things like that but yeah so hmm. about 6 years been been working on on that council we should say Cool. Yeah. It, it yeah. doesn't, I guess, have any kind of a name like no. I, the only thing I've heard it referred to as by anyone else is like the, the parks meeting. Mm-hmm. It just, I don't know if it's because we meet in the park or it's mostly about parks, but like you said, it's sort of the, the forum where people will just talk about anything that's relevant mm-hmm. to the town and air their grievances around wild dogs and cats and snow plowing <laughs> or a large fence that went up or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. so. building code violations that people are noticing. Yeah. Um, and it's so, it's so random when we actually meet, I usually just get a phone call and it's, Hey, does this day, this time work for you to meet? Yeah, I can make that work. That's usually how that happens. So. Yeah. I kind of it's love very it. impromptu. Just the way it is. Like, I don't necessarily want to change it. Although I feel like mm-hmm. we could probably, you know, evolve this to mm-hmm. be somehow more more effective or impactful or just, just functional. Not that it's like dysfunctional, but what I've noticed is, you know, because it's it's informal, there's no real commitment that anyone is yes. making and so no ex- there's no expectations yeah. which which you know for me from my perspective I think it's I'm just glad that people are showing up at all like that's great yeah. and I, I don't think you know we can expect anything from anyone like everyone's busy everyone's struggling in some way or another and you know you can't expect people to to donate their time or resources yes. um but for those that are at least interested, that is something. And, um, and yeah, I, it's been also really educational for me because as I've thought about getting more involved just in my community here and, and in Carbon County at large, and maybe thinking about, you know, what can I do to get, get involved in, in local government at some point? Um, I definitely have an interest, but it's been an educational experience just in this informal group of seeing like, man, how, how tough it is to just have, uh, you know, to, to, to build community and come mm-hmm. to agreements and make things work. It's like people, it, it is, it's been humbling, you know, uh-huh. cause I think about how people want to complain and criticize what's happening at like the national government level yes. or, you know, even County government. But yep. then if it's like, you know, you take the responsibility to try to improve your own community and it's just like there's 200 people here and it's still, it's so contentious and difficult and like yeah. progress is hard. So that that's, yeah. it's been uh, educational and humbling for yeah. me. I would like to tell, you know, them when we, when we meet, let's, let's focus on Kenilworth. Let's focus on, on this little piece that we have control over or as much control as we think we have. Let's get this problem solved first, and then we can tackle those bigger problems. And maybe by by tackling those little problems, the bigger problems will work themselves out with, whether that's county government or whether it's a, an issue with the state road or something like that. If they see small impacts that we're making as a group here in town for the 200 people that live here, let's do that. 
Let's make that impact and then let's see what happens with the other things. But I'm one voice in that and we try. Yeah. We try. We're definitely trying. Yeah. And well, you know, when I first, the first year I was here, I, I kind of, I saw this and thought, hmm, maybe there's, you know, there's some way I can get involved and help out and, you know, do something here. I saw this opportunity, but felt like a lot of people in this town have been here their whole lives. Some mm-hmm. of them are in their 90s. And yeah. as a newcomer, especially coming from California with California license plate, that was like a black mark already on my reputation. Uh, <laughs> I felt like, okay, I need to like keep my mouth shut and not try to like change anything until I've been here a while and I actually know what I'm talking about. And, yeah. Like have some relationships because I think that's that's also just a common mistake people make uh you know going anywhere in the world moving to a new place is too quickly trying to force change or their ideas about what Mm -hmm. should happen the way things should be and i think just it's a good idea anywhere anywhere you go in the world like you got to really take time to try to understand and learn and observe and build relationships Mm -hmm. before you kind of try to change anything so um I've been here five years now and I'm feeling more comfortable and also just think looking at this current group and noticing like, you know, you and I are kind of the only really young people in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really appreciate the, the wisdom and all the combined life experience of these older folks that are showing up and the fact that they, they care about this place and are still yes. trying to take care of it, even as their abilities and, you know, mobility is, is becoming more limited um, so it, it just makes me feel like an increased sense of responsibility, like, mm-hmm. okay, especially looking ahead to the future. It's like, well, we're still going to maybe not, maybe not necessarily be here physically in Kenilworth, but we'll, we'll likely still be alive in 30, 40, 50 years. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we're kind of in the position now where it's up to us to, if there is going to be any kind of a vision for the future or a plan, um, you know, we kind of have to help lead that charge a little we bit. Do. So, and I'm spending time on this because even though this is, you know, very niche to, to Kenilworth, this mm-hmm. tiny town, I mean, that's kind of the whole idea of this podcast. I just want to, yeah. you know, I think a lot of podcasts, for example, try to go global and, mm-hmm. you know, talk about things that are, can be relevant to everybody. And, but I thought it would actually be really useful and super interesting to me to mm-hmm. just focus on what is happening hyper locally here. But I think this conversation is relevant to anyone in any community. Like exactly. Ev- everyone has a neighborhood. There's a organization and change happening at, at yeah. every level. And so yeah. anyway, my, my question for you is, uh, you know, as being one of the, this leaders of this younger generation and, and, uh, of this town, do you have any thoughts about what the future might look like here? Um, do you have a, any vision for what Kenilworth might look like hmm. in another 50 years or a hundred years and um, ideas about what we can do to, yeah, I like, I like the town the way it is. I don't think like it needs to change or grow mm-hmm. or anything. I mean, but just in terms of like, in ways that we can improve these public spaces that we're stewarding and what we can do to improve the quality of life for people here. Yeah. Do, you, do you have any thoughts on the future? I'm with you. I don't, I wouldn't want to see Kenilworth grow, you know, much bigger than what it already 
is um, in the time from the time I was little until I moved out of Kenilworth, it stayed pretty close to the same. Families came and went, but as far as like growth, it's pretty pretty much the same as it was when I was a kid. Um, there's been a few new homes built here and there in in town, but other than that, but I would like to see it stay the small, quaint, you know, community that it is. Um, I would like to, I'm with you, I'd like to see the parks improved. I would like to see our public spaces, you know, and build more of that community. We are all neighbors up here. We just, we need to communicate more, you know, and, and maybe not dwell on issues that have happened in the past. How can we get past those? How can we move together as a community and do those things together? You know, you, you don't have to like everybody, but you have to respect others' ideas. They're, they're uh, you know, just their, their, their ideas and them as an individual. Respect that. You don't always have to get along and, and see eye to eye, but, but be their neighbor. Help them out. Do those things. That, that's what I'd like to see for Kenilworth, I think, really. Um, I don't think we'll ever be actually incorporated, and I wouldn't, I don't think I'd want to see that. I don't think I'd want to see a, an actual incorporated Kenilworth. I kind of like the Wild West feel sometimes of, you know, yeah. what's what's Joe doing down the street in the middle of the night, you know, revving up his engine. I don't know. He's <laughs> just doing his thing, you know, type thing. Yeah. Um, but I would I would like to see, you know, some more community community activity maybe with with individuals seeing, you know, um, when I was younger we used to have um, a celebration in the summer. It was called Kenilworth Days, and and that was fun. There was a parade through town when the ball field, the baseball field was up there. That's where everybody would meet. There was lunch. There was games for kids, vendors, different things like that. And it was just like a one-day event. Everybody attended that. And then over the, you know, through the years, people from other other towns and stuff would come and, and participate. In that. And then it just kind of died off one year. And I don't know if that was that older generation not wanting to continue doing that or if there was no money. I don't know. As a kid, I didn't really care about that at that time. But, you know, those types of things I remember and I would like to see come back. Um, but just more more social with each other, I think, is the best way to, to state that. Yeah, me too. I want to see it come back. Do you remember what the last year was that they did the Kenilworth Days? What we... Uh, I don't remember the exact year. I, I was young. I was young when it, when it was the last one. Hmm. So maybe, maybe like 20, 25 years ago. Probably. Yeah. Probably mid nineties, I would say. Yeah. I, sus- I know some ex- experts we could, we could talk to at our next, uh, mm-hmm. non-council council meeting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I suspect it, it must've had to do with the fact that it was, it was, uh, these efforts were led by the older generation, mm-hmm. and as they aged and just kind of lost the energy and the will to, to carry this torch forward, exactly. like, I mean, that's that's the point at which a new generation needs to kind of step up and mm-hmm. carry the torch, and it seems like that just never happened, which I don't think is, ex- you know, problem exclusive to this place. That's mm-hmm. just kind of what has happened everywhere is... Uh, I mean, people turning away from tradition and kind of abandoning uh, institutions. and Exactly. I mean, we're just seeing this, like, massive cultural transformation 
can't I can't really judge whether it's bad or good personally, mm-hmm. but I am uh, you know I'm aware of of uh, the what I think is still that need for this kind of social interaction, this community building. I think part of it is our generation growing up with the internet. We kind of got seduced by mm-hmm. the online and the social media and moved our lives online yeah. and kind of just forgot about the need to sustain these kinds of institutions and celebrations and and focus on building communities where we physically live. Actual um, friends, actual individual conversations that you have with, with people. Um, I, I agree with you. It's a lot of online personalities, a lot, a lot of uh, online persona, you know, so, mm-hmm. and not that, not that human interaction. I see a lot of, a lot of individuals our age that can't have this conversation that we're having right now, you know, this back and forth, um, because they're, that's not something that they're accustomed to. They're accustomed to sending an email, sending a text message or whatever it may be. Yeah. And, and I, like, I don't want to be a Luddite or kind of hate on social mm-hmm. media yeah. or say that, you know, it's, it's in any way wrong. It seems like just inevitable. Like this is the way the world is going. This is the way like civilization and yeah. like, the human species is going. We're sort of evolving to become something altogether different mm-hmm. as we like merge our brains with computers more and more. <laughs> like we already are kind of, you know, with, exactly. with a ever present smartphone in your pocket. Like yeah. we're just a different species almost. Um, but I, I think this is a really good time for us, and it seems like again the responsibility is is really like mm-hmm. smack dab right on our generation, being now both the the generation that is parenting and also looking after the elderly. Yes. It's like okay, if anything is going to happen, it's kind of up to us, and mm-hmm. I think this is the time where I feel we really should be focusing on on bringing back that in person social interaction and community mm-hmm. building. Um, because without it, I think people just descend further into loneliness and isolation, which breeds other problems like yep. depression and anxiety, which then leads to substance use disorders. Yes. So, you know, which then leads to mass shootings. And so in my mind, like so many of our, our problems as a society, like trace back to, to this issue that... Mm-hmm. And, and again, why Kenilworth is so interesting is because it's, the, it's contained. It's, it's like this sample size community of 200 people and it has a, a, a limit as a, you know, it's, it's, so it's a microcosm. It's like, yeah. but it's also right. representative of every neighborhood in the country. It's just harder to see when you're in the city because one neighborhood bleeds into the next yes. and you have this illusion of of the immensity of the city and this feeling of powerlessness in the face of that maybe you see the need for to build community but it just seems too complex or yes. like well it it's, should be somebody's job or the government needs to solve mm-hmm. this um and i feel in a bigger city you can build you can build community but you're more apt to build community with somebody that's like-minded as you you know you find people that are interested in the same things we don't have we have 200 people in Kenilworth not everybody is as like-minded as you know somebody from the city would be able to go three blocks over and find somebody that's you know interested in the same things everybody here is interested in something different 
in Kenilworth. We all have certain strengths. We have certain weaknesses. Um, but I feel as a community in Kenilworth, we could we could solve a lot of problems just amongst ourselves here, you know, for our little 200 people that are that are here. Um, and then that could expand into other areas. Maybe maybe we expand to Springland. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we have a, an interesting opportunity here, too, um, because mm-hmm. I think in, from my impression, what Kenilworth Kenilworth represents something to the rest of Carbon County. Um, I'm not quite sure what it is, but uh, from what I hear, Kenilworth, to, to most people that don't live here, is the place where they go to retreat to, to sort of get a breath of fresh air and like mm-hmm. enjoy the, the quiet and look out on the, the valley. We have this spectacular view up here. And so in my mind, Kenilworth has always kind of been like, a retreat. Um, and I love the idea that when there was this Kenilworth Day celebration, people came from all over to kind of celebrate this community with the people that lived here. Because, I mean, that says to me that this place has some value to people that don't live here. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think my part of my vision and hope for the future is like that we can kind of build on that a little bit. And, uh, of course, like increase our own capacity to have a, a strong, tight knit community, but also to welcome people from uh, nearby to to yeah. come up here and and enjoy those those qualities and those things that we have to offer. Um, and that's a big part of what I'm trying to do with this building, the the old company store here. In case I, mm-hmm. I haven't mentioned it before, um. So, yeah, and I I think you're right that we can we can um make a make a really big impact just just socially and mm-hmm. improving quality of life and health um again just the loneliness and isolation by itself mm-hmm. is such a huge health problem i i've thought yeah. a lot about and and my desire to just kind of find a way to to build community and get people to come out of their houses and interact a little more I, i've thought I wonder, you know, how how much could you extend someone's lifespan, uh, specifically uh, an elderly person living yes. alone, which we yes. have quite a few of them here, um, some who have passed away in recent years, um, and maybe it's it's be- because I mean everybody's going to pass away at some point, but to spend your final years just all alone um, mm-hmm. and and kind of degrading physically and mentally is just such a sad way to go out as opposed to being this like celebrated elder member of the community Correct. who has wisdom and stories to pass down. Correct. And, you know, I've, I was really fortunate to have that kind of a relationship with the Jukeses who were that, mm-hmm. who was that couple that lived here their entire lives and <laughs> lived to be in their nineties. And yes, I mean, they, they were so full of life because they, they have a lot of family locally that mm-hmm. a lot of children and grandchildren that would visit them. But um, I felt really lucky that I got here in time to get to know them and hear their stories and, and the history because, yeah, good old yeah. Ron Jukes, he was kind of like <laughs> the unofficial historian for this he, whole county. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kenilworth in particular and, and the store, this building that I bought, he worked here for a number of years when he was a young man. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think just, just that one thing alone, I mean, there's so many other mm-hmm. ways that, that, that this could help, but 
just giving elderly folks like a rich final uh you know few years or decade of their their life um and to to possibly extend that by by years um and and uh and delay like the the cognitive decline especially the cognitive decline is the is the biggest one through what i do for work and you know just just uh, having grandparents in, in the community as well. Um, I, I see that and I've seen that over time. So just, I think any sort of involvement in anything helps just keep you going. And it, you, you and I, we stay going with work that we're doing with this community council thing that we do, you know, we, you know, that keeps us going and it keeps us thinking and wanting to better things. They want that same thing I feel. And we just got to give them that opportunity. Yeah. To, to help them however that is if, if we need to if we need to go visit one of them in their house let's do that let's we've got some work to do and I, I feel we've we can we can provide some of those things um, whether it's through finding agencies like we've talked about my agency or others um, or if it's just you and I going and visiting you know you visited with the Jukes for you know probably a year or more right you know let's Let's just continue doing that. I think that's how, that's where we make our biggest impact. Yeah. And at some point, yeah. inspiring other people our age to yes. to get out and, and get involved too. Um, but I, I like I don't I don't blame anybody no. or, or judge anybody for not when it's getting so difficult to just make a living and you know, people are trying to raise their families and, and just <laughs> with what free time they have, like decompress and relax. And so, yeah, again, like I don't expect anybody to on their one day off to, to be like wanting to go to the park and, you know, pull weeds. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, I feel like there's just so many side effects, positive benefits mm-hmm. to building community that can, I think actually relieve the, the burden on, on most people, um, make it, make it more, I guess just add more ease to your life and mm-hmm. um, reduce your financial burdens because you have that connection and you can meet more of your needs. Neighbors can help each other meet more of their needs mm-hmm. so that you're not as dependent on Walmart and Amazon and exactly you know, like I don't know just you know yeah. outside outside uh, things outside the community. But yeah, um, I, I want wanted to ask you if you feel like. So we've talked a little bit about this already. The potential mm-hmm. for, oh, I, by the way, I like the what you called the the Kenilworth the Community Council. The uh-huh. Kenilworth Community Council, I think, <laughs> is actually that's got to be the new name. That's okay. sound, that sounded right to me. Okay, because it's it's not a city council, but it's a community council. Okay, let's <laughs> let's start pushing that name. Uh, Next um, meeting, we'll push it. And I like I like that there's no <laughs> there's no like real leader or anyone in charge it's it makes it extra challenging uh-huh. but also kind of uh like a necessary challenge like yeah you know and i mean people i think sometimes fantasize about how you know the world could could work better if we, we didn't have to rely on there just being yes. some powerful person in charge but it it makes it really difficult uh it's it's helped me to see like actually the value in having an, an elected mayor or a mm-hmm. captain of the ship, just like somebody who can make the decision. Yes. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's interesting too to just have to <laughs> force ourselves to 
work through that challenge of yes. like there is no one who has the authority to say anything mm-hmm. i mean it what authority people do kind of have is is just granted through age and experience and and wisdom and time spent living here mm-hmm. and but it's not measured or really there's no there's no like accounting of it there's no hierarchy yeah um but it, it's helped me um I, you know, this, this just came to me as you were, as you were speaking, you know, it's helping me build bridges with some of the others that are, that are on the, on that committee with us. I mean, we've, you know, I've, I've, I've been with them long enough that I, I kind of know their personalities a little bit, but I've been able to build bridges and uh, explain my side of, of my, or my view to them and then listening to their side and where they're coming from and what the, how they see something and then finding common ground there. So I, I like what you how you've put that. Um, so it's built, built bridges between, between some of us. Yeah. And, and again, why it's such a unique and interesting microcosm is because, well, for one thing, we don't have the, the kind of religious unity that a lot of communities yep. in some parts of Utah do where most people are LDS. And so they already have that default ward outline yep. boundary to their neighborhood and yes. that organization. Uh, you know, Carbon County is one of the the few parts of the state that is kind of an anomaly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't really fit as neatly into that that Mormon culture that dominates much of the state. Mm-hmm. But also politically, I feel like again we're kind of an anomaly. It's as from what I hear, this this part of the state at one time was more blue, a lot of working Correct. class people and labor unions, and because of the, the mines and and so on. But at, at some point, it became more of a red place. But I think mm-hmm. my, my sense is that it's really still kind of a purple place. And there's just we just have a, a really wide diversity of, of views and opinions, which I, I love so much, yes. actually, especially, again, coming from these West Coast cities where I'll, I'll say it just felt like there was a very dominant liberal culture, which I mean, Parts of that I I identify with and mm-hmm. and kind of agree with, but it felt to me oppressive because of how how dominant it was mm-hmm. and and just the attitudes that people have there, their unwillingness yeah. to to compromise, to even like have a conversation with somebody yes. that is they perceive as being in the opposite political party on on the other team. It, it's just mm-hmm. like it felt kind of toxic to me, yeah. and that was part of why I left. Um, and was like looking to rural places in the country. And I was like, man, I just want to live somewhere a little bit more moderate and like, yeah. and less. Uh... Yeah. So yeah, uh, I agree with you. I love Kenilworth because you can't, you know, you can't define it. You can't really label it in terms of religious or political identity. Nope. It's just all kinds of people here. And, yeah. and like you said, we there's, you don't have any choice, but to have conversations with those people. Yes. And, somehow like find some some way to to see and respect each other mm-hmm. in spite of your differences and and it again is really challenging but like we have to do it we have to do it <laughs> yeah. we have to do that yeah yeah uh so do you think uh, this was the question i was trying to ask earlier and i got distracted um that <laughs> it would be beneficial for us to form some kind of nonprofit organization that kind of functions similar to how active reentry does where, you know, we, we see this need, these, these needs that our community has and 
while the, uh, the government solution doesn't seem appropriate for this context, maybe a, a nonprofit entity, something like the Kenilworth Community Council, but that has is a little bit more formalized mm -hmm. so that it we can design it to be self self perpetuating and sustainable mm -hmm. and a mechanism through which we can maybe generate some some funding and apply for grants. Do you yep. feel like that would be a good solution for this place? I do. I think um, I think running it as a as a nonprofit would would help um, kind of solidify everybody's ideas into into one one place. Um, but it would also um, it would also give that vision of what we've talked about, you know, the vision for the future of how how we see Kenilworth or how others in the community see it um, down the line. And I think I think a nonprofit is is kind of the best way to go because coming from that world, I feel like you have you have to have a good grasp on the government side of it because there's always grants and stuff that's you know funding you, but you also have your ear to the ground on what uh, the community needs are and you're building partnerships with other organizations and individuals and, and different things that way. So I, I think a nonprofit could be a great way to, to get that, uh, to get our vision for Kenilworth complete. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because that, that is becoming increasingly evident to me that I, I think there, there are ways that, um, we could make a real impact with some kind of more formal organized mm -hmm. entity. But again, like I, I feel like I can't do it alone. I don't want to impose my will. Right. I just want to keep having these conversations mm -hmm. and see if we can get, uh, you know, a, to a critical point of having enough community buy-in that everyone yes. is kind of in agreement and, and would support something like that. Um, but I think for the next, you know, year or two, uh, I like just continuing to practice. I feel like we're agree. we're kind of practicing gearing up to maybe <laughs> at some point like consolidate and formalize. Yeah. Um, but we're still still forming this team, and I think like just for myself, you know, I'm I've, I'm trying to get to that point where I feel like I have the capacity to um, dedicate myself and, mm -hmm. and commit to to something like this. Yeah. Um, because yeah, I mean, even for you and I, like our our time and energy is is limited. But but uh, I just uh, feel like we have a lot in common mm -hmm. with our our interest in this place and our desire to take care yes. of it and being kind of on the same page there. It gives me a lot of hope that <laughs> we're we're on the right track and that I think yeah we should uh, we should keep working on this and um, yeah. yeah. So it's been a great conversation. I feel. I was, I kind of had a rough day. I was just feeling sort of down and I don't know. Yeah. Holiday times are always complicated. It's like I had a good time yeah. with my family. There was a lot of love and hugs and there actually like wasn't any drama. That That's but... always a plus, right? No drama. <laughs> but uh, I don't but know. But it's exhausting, right? Yeah. It's, it's yes. just still like emotionally exhausting. You're, yes. you're giving a lot of yourself. It's a lot of people in close quarters. Yes. Um, and then also we'll like bring to the surface any sort of uh you know just aspects of your childhood trauma or whatever uh -huh. like you know weird old family dynamics um so anyway uh i understand great talking yeah. to you uh, uh this has kind of cheered me up and made well, my day just a few more questions before Perfect. we go yeah i feel like we've been talking for 
quite a while. Let's see where we're at. We're at an hour and 20. Wow. Time's flown by. It has flown by. Okay. So I don't, I feel like while people do listen to podcasts that are like two, three, four hours long, mm -hmm. I think I need to keep these a little bit okay. short. I think 90 yeah. minutes maybe is yeah. like a good, good cap. I like that. Um, yeah. So I was thinking about when will people listen to these? I listen to podcasts when I'm working because I'm just doing like mindless labors so, so many hours a day where mm -hmm. it only requires like 15% of my brain power right. to like focus on the task and with the rest of it, I can listen to, and, to something and learn. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, if you don't have that ability in your job, <laughs> um, I mean, maybe if you're like just cleaning, cleaning your house would be the other, yeah. other thing. But uh, commuting is commuting. when I think people listen to yeah. podcasts and uh, local commutes are for most people probably pretty short, but I think going up to the Valley, that's, that's the yeah. other good time to like find like a two hour podcast when you got to drive to Salt Lake yes. and <laughs> you know, like you'll be able to listen to the whole thing and finish it right by the time yes. that you get there. So that's, that's kind of where the 90 minutes comes from. It's like, the it's time... perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> the time it takes to get to, to Orem. Um, yeah. all right. On a good day. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, last, last questions. Okay. So, well, first of all, just in your own words to, to finish that last conversation, what is it that keeps you involved in the, in the community council and what, what's motivated you to, to want to participate in all that when mm -hmm. like you could easily just not and be enjoying yourself at home, like watching your favorite TV show. Right. Like, why are you showing up and, and like contributing right. your time and labor to, to pull weeds when, when like most people aren't and like, you mm -hmm. know, there's no, nobody expects you to. Yeah. Why do you do it? Um, I do it because I grew up here and I love this place. You know, I made lifelong friends here, um, have family that still lives, lives in Kenilworth. Um, and I just love it. I mean, it was a great place to grow up. We didn't have to worry about anything, you know. We It didn't matter whose house we went to, friends, whatever. We knew we could get something to drink, something to eat. It didn't matter whose house we went to. You, They knew you. They knew your parents. You know, you could just walk in. So um, that that that's what keeps me, you know, involved, especially here, you know, is just just that history that I have with Kenilworth and being, you know, being a kid here growing up and, and knowing a lot of the, a lot of the people that still live here, they were, they were here when I was young. So that's, that's what keeps me, keeps me involved with that. That's, that's a great answer. I love how simple yeah. it is. Yep. Simple and easy. All right. So the last thing I want to ask you about is, okay. is your, seems to me like, well, well, you can, Tell me if there's some other uh, hobby of yours that I'm not aware of, but it seems like your main side hobby is photography. Is that That's right? correct. Yep. That's cool. I've seen some of your yep. work. Thank um, you. I like it. Is it just a hobby or something that you do professionally or that people can hire you for? Uh, it's a hobby right now. Um, so just needed, wanted something, something new to try when I was a, a little bit younger. So about 10 years ago I or so, I guess, um, just started toying with cameras and and seeing what I could do and then it kind of developed from there and now I'm you know I dove head first into that that pool and yeah I just I just do it as a hobby something that gets me outside keeps me keeps me active and I you know just like to 
see what I can come up with, how creative I can be um, on that side of things. Um, I have done a few like hired sessions and, and stuff like that, but I'm not quite at that point to really like book things. Mm-hmm. Um, so gotcha. Yeah. Uh, can, so. can we share where people can go to look at your, your photography work if they want to check it out? Yeah. So, um, right now I just do a lot of it through Instagram. So I don't have a website. I don't do anything like that. Don't have the time to put in any of that together right now. Um, so just on Instagram, so it's just haycock.c on Instagram. You can go there and check it out and and that. So nice. Yeah. It's just fun to do. Yeah. I like I like your your reasoning for part of it just being a way to to get outside and mm-hmm. go explore. Yeah, I never it didn't occur to me like that. Yeah, that is one of the, the major side benefits of photography as a hobby mm-hmm. so many of my hobbies just keep me indoors all day right <laughs> i'd eat something like that <laughs> uh. it's easy to do it's easy to stay inside you know like you had mentioned earlier we're a culture now that everything's online you know it's easy for us to stay inside all day and not go outside and feel the feel the sun yeah you know so this this has helped me be able to do that hmm. all right thanks so much for talking chris yes, it's been a pleasure to you. get to know you more and look forward to our our ongoing and future collaborations. Yes. And yes. Uh, look forward to, to getting a little bit more involved with active reentry and finding some great volunteer opportunity there. It's going to be fun. It will. It will. We'll, we'll put you to work. Cool. We'll use your talents. All right. Have a good night. You too.